Celebrate that this morning. How many of you were here last week? Were you here last weekend? You got to watch baptisms. 18 people made the public declaration of their faith in Jesus. And um, that just gets my blood boiling in a good way. It gets my heart rate up, gets me all excited. Does it get you excited? That's what the church is here for. Do you, you thought about that? The church is here. I mean, Jesus actually says in... In the book of Luke, he says that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, that lost would be found, that people would find new life, that they would declare that and live in that. That's what we exist for. Amen? Amen. Well, um, some of you, as I look around, it dawns on me that I don't know a lot of you. (laughs) Some of you have been new here to Impact, and some of you don't know me, and so I just want to introduce myself. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And welcome here. If you're tuning in online, uh, we welcome you. Thanks for joining us um, and for being a part of Impact. If you're over in the mask required zone, um, we welcome you over there as well. So we got, as Kate said earlier, we just have a lot of ways for people to stay connected. And I'm so grateful for that. We are one body. Amen. We're one body with a lot of different locations, a lot of different places, but we are one body. Amen. I want to share with you a story today about an interaction that Jesus had. Um, And before I do that, I do want to make make sure I mention this. Last week, we started this series called Passion Born. And uh, as I already said, 18 people got baptized. And Jason mentioned last weekend, if you uh, are wanting to get baptized, if you have not taken this next step in your faith, and this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be reborn what it means to be regenerated in our lives and be made new. And maybe, you're, maybe you'll make a decision to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time or for the second or third or fourth time today. And I just wanna invite you, after the service, we have a sign-up sheet out in, the, out in the lobby for getting baptized. And we don't know when the baptism service is gonna be, um, but we're already gonna go ahead and do sign-ups right now. <laughs> that, we don't know what date it's going to be. We're hoping sometime in January or February but we wanna give an opportunity for you to respond. So, all right, baptisms. Well, we're gonna open up God's word today. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, we're gonna be in the book of John. It's one of the gospels, one of the four gospels. And uh, if you've got your Bible, you'll, you'll turn to the New Testament and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're gonna be in John chapter three. We're gonna have the scripture up on the screen as well, or you can download the Bible app. I love the Bible app on my phone, um, the YouVersion Bible app. John chapter three, beginning in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. We're gonna stop there. We're talking about a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. Have you heard of Pharisees before? Jesus didn't really have a great relationship with the Pharisees over the three years of his ministry. He often called them out on things. He even called them whitewashed tombs and uh, he called them snakes and all kinds of all kinds of things that probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't develop your relationship really closely with with those people. But the Pharisees really were guys. They were a group of guys that really meant well. They were about six thousand strong. That's about, about how many Pharisees um, existed during Jesus' time. And uh, the Pharisee means a set apart one, someone who has been um, separated or set apart for God's purposes. They're kind of like the pastors of the day. This was Nicodemus. He was one of these, they called themselves the Havura, which is uh, the brotherhood, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, um, 
you know, kind of get a bad rap as we read through scripture because um, they often did things that were in opposition to what Jesus did. But for all intents and purposes, these Pharisees um, were guys that really meant well and they were extremely, extremely religious. They went to church or went to the synagogue several times a week. Anyone go to church several times a week? Maybe you do that. Uh, They memorized the first five books of the Bible uh, from an early age. Anyone memorized those books? No. In fact, Nicodemus by himself probably memorized more scripture than all of this room, everyone tuning in online combined. I mean, just the first five books of the Bible are 187 chapters. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And some of those books aren't exactly riveting, <laughs> okay? I mean, some of you in, a, in about a month and a half, you're gonna be making some New Year's resolutions. Who's ready for 2021? Amen. All right, okay, okay. That's about the most lively I'm gonna get from, from people probably this morning. Yeah, so some of you are gonna make New Year's resolutions and some of you, this is a great New Year's resolution to be in God's word, to read God's word. Some of you are like, man, I'm going for broke. I'm reading the whole Bible this year. And you start with, you're like, I wanna read it through from cover to cover. So I start with Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh man, the creation story, I love that. And then it goes to Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel. And then, then we hit, get into Noah and the Tower of Babel and we get into the patriarchs and all these cool stories stories, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and then they're in, uh, and then we jump into Exodus, and the people of God, they're in, um, they're in Egypt, and oh, that's, you know, there's all those stories, it's great, and then you get to Leviticus, and most of you are going to stop, okay, <laughs> because Leviticus is like, you should not, it's, I mean, it's, you should not uh, trim your beard a certain way, or um, cook things in milk, or, I mean, just crazy law. They had all their laws, all their, all their specifications of what the tabernacle is going to look like, and really rich theology in those books, but very dense. And this guy, Nicodemus, he'd memorized all of that. Not only had he memorized all of what we know as the Torah, but he likely would have memorized all of the Talmud and the mitzvah as well. All of the, not just the, the scripture, but the interpretation of the scripture. So you know that maybe you know the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments is uh, you're to make the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, honor the Sabbath day. Well, what does that mean? What do you what do you mean keep it holy? Well, you can't work on the Sabbath. Well, define work. Well, you you can't um, you know you shouldn't you know engage in strenuous activity. Well, define that. Well, how much? How much can I lift? They had. In, in their interpretation of the law, they had what kind of knots you could tie on the Sabbath. Nicodemus would have memorized, he, he, knew, he knew all this stuff. He's coming to Jesus, he's a Pharisee, he's a really big deal and he's very religious. He knows all about God. He knows, he knows, he knows all about what he's, what's supposed to be done. And, and not only that, but he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So not only is he a Pharisee, he's a member of the, so he's a, a member of the 6,000 people that were set apart, but he's also a member of the Jewish ruling council. It's called the Sanhedrin. Jesus actually stood before the Sanhedrin. 70 people, whittled down from, 6,000, all the people in Israel, 70 people. It was like the Supreme Court for the Jews. That was their ruling body. Those are the people who governed them, determined, yep, you abided by these laws, how to, how to enforce the laws, all of that. Nicodemus is a really big deal. In fact, Jesus later in the story, we'll get to this later in the story, he says that you are Israel's teacher. Not you are one of Israel's teacher, you are Israel's teacher. This is Nicodemus, he's a really big deal in this story. And yet Nicodemus, look in verse two, he comes to Jesus at night. Now we could probably read over this really, really quickly. And, and, uh, but I I think that John included this in the gospel um, to make a point. In fact, all throughout the gospel of John, if you read through the entire gospel of John, you'll find that, that John uses this metaphor of light and darkness, day and night frequently. 
He talks about light. And in fact, at the very end of the story that we're gonna read, he does light and darkness. The, the, for the, the light has come into the darkness and the darkness could not hide it. And whoever walks in the light as he is in the light, I mean, you hear all of these types of things throughout scripture. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. I think Nicodemus was coming to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be seen. Uh, some of you, um, some of you have come here to church or maybe you're tuning in online. Um, or maybe you're in the mask required zone. Maybe, some of you are here, um, not because you want to be, but because someone else wants you to be. Raise of hands, no, I'm kidding. Don't, don't raise your hands if that's you. Yeah, that's me, that's me, right? <laughs> Some of you are here because your boyfriend or your girlfriend wants you to be here. And you're like, well, I think I'll just, I'll, I'll yeah. And Nicodemus was embarrassed to be seen with Jesus. I had this uh, student in Indiana. I was a youth pastor in Indiana before my wife and I, before our family moved here about 10 years ago. And uh, I would go to the school. I went to this uh, school in Warsaw, Indiana, a really large public school in Indiana. And I would go there to eat lunch with students and there was this guy who had been coming to the youth group. His girlfriend was in the youth group. He didn't grow up in, the ch in church. He didn't really know much about scripture, which was, which was awesome. We're like, welcome. Like, I love that this story doesn't end here where Jesus is like, if you can't talk to me during the day, then don't talk to me at all. If you're coming to talk to me and you want a foot in both worlds, I, don't talk to me at all. Jesus doesn't do that. Some of you are come to, coming to Jesus at night and you're coming with all of these like, Jesus, I'll let you talk to me over here. I wanna kind of compartmentalize my life. I wanna come to church on the weekend. And then during the weekday, I wanna live in a totally different way. I, I really would like things separate. And this kid, I remember seeing this kid from across the road, he's probably 50 feet away in the lunchroom. And, uh, and, I, and I saw him and he made eye, eye contact with me. And as he did, I started to wave have you ever done this before? You started to wave and then they, he looks away and you're like, yeah, you pull one of those, try to save face. And I could tell right away he's with friends who he does not want to know that he knows me. How would that conversation go? Oh, who's, who's the guy that you just waved to? Who is this? Well, he's, um, he's, uh, he's a youth, <clears throat> he's a pastor. <laughs> pastor. What? You go to, Dude, you go, to, you go to church? What? You believe it? This is Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. And he kind of says the right things, but he kind of doesn't say the right things. Rabbi, he calls Jesus a rabbi. That, now that's more than what most Pharisees would call Jesus. In fact, most of the other Pharisees called Jesus a lot worse things. They called him a blasphemer. They called him an imposter, all kinds of things like that. This guy at least says some of the right things. Oh, Jesus, you're a rabbi. We know that you have you know, you're from God because you've done things that, you know, and signs that no one could do unless God were with you. And, and notice what else he says. We know that you are a teacher. Some of you are here today and you think Jesus, you, you like Jesus? You know, from the things that you know about Jesus, you're like, yeah, he's gracious. He said really cool things that I like, like judge not lest you be judged. He's not a, he's not a judgmental guy. Like, I like that. I like that about him. Uh, he talks about love. I, I could get into that. I like Jesus. He's a good guy. You know, Jesus never, he never left that as an option for us. He never left the option of I'm a teacher. C.S. Lewis writes in, I think it's in Mere Christianity. He talks about, um, how Jesus is either Lord, he's either a lunatic, a madman, or he's a liar. He made some really bold statements about who he is and what he came to do. And one of them, teacher wasn't on that. <laughs> Just the teacher wasn't on that list. Because I'm Lord, I am God over all the world. God over the entire, I'm the savior of the world. So here we have Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus at night, trying to keep a foot in both worlds, trying to be discreet and secretive. And Jesus doesn't shut down the conversation. He's like, he doesn't say, get out of here, dude. I mean, you're fake, you're a fraud, get out of here. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that with you. And he doesn't do that with me. Are you thankful for that? 
Jesus doesn't do that with you and he doesn't do that with me. We come to him with all kinds of conceptions about who we want him to be and what we want him to do in our lives and how we want him to act. And he doesn't, he doesn't just come with condemnation. We're gonna hear that later in the, in the story, but he comes with grace and with love and with mercy and he walks with us to truth. Nicodemus seemed to say all the right things and do all the right things, but he wasn't, catch this phrase, born again. So John chapter three, verse three, we, go, we continue in our story. Now, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you. Now in the Greek, this is amen, amen. It's kind of redundant. It's almost like saying the same thing over and over again so that you get someone's attention. I know we've got kids in here today because part of Kid Zone um, is not open. Hi, kids. Hey, you're coloring, most of your color. Oh, I got some waves. Now, when you, as kids, when you say things like to your parents, I really, 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 really want, does that help you? That helps you maybe. Parents, does it help? It doesn't help parents. Kids feel like it helps. This is what Jesus, Jesus is saying words over and over twice. And he does this three different times in the story. He says, amen, amen. Truly, truly, this is like, emphasizing something. This is saying as a kid to your parent, I really, 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 really want that. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, this is really weird, especially if you think about it literally. And that's what Nicodemus did. Nicodemus goes, what? And he's a smart guy, remember? He's studied, he's studious, he's learned, he's uh, astute. And he says, surely, I, how can, first he says, how can someone be born when they are old? You see where Nicodemus is going here? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus went down a mental track that led him to a pretty Unfortunate picture in his mind, probably. <laughs> I mean, he loves his mom, I would imagine. Do you love your mom? Most people love their mom. Maybe you, like, most people love their mom. You think about your mom, you don't want to think about that about your mom. <laughs> like, that picture isn't a good picture. And that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's like, how in the world, I know how people are born. How, you're telling me I've got to do what? That doesn't work. That won't work. It's not physically possible. Also, even if it was physically possible, no one wants to do that. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus answered, truly, truly, again, very truly, amen, amen. I tell you, no one can enter. So first he said, no one can see the kingdom of God. Now he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. No one can see, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. And I wanna pause here. This would be extremely radical for someone like Nicodemus. There's a couple of reasons. Number one, he'd be familiar with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the thing that was supposed to come into fruition at the end of time. He believed as a Pharisee in the resurrection, Sadducees did not, but the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Most of the Jewish people believed in the resurrection, but they believed at the, at the resurrection, it was going to be the Jews. Like the people, the people of God, the people who are chosen. And, and, and Jesus doesn't say anything about them. He says, no one, unless they're born again. First of all, that rocks Nicodemus's world. It'd be like some of you, and it is like some of you. It's like me. I've been in this place so many times in my faith. It'd be like him saying to us, did you know that going to church isn't the way that you get into the kingdom of God? Did you know that memorizing all that scripture, I didn't say anything about that, Nicodemus. Now that's good. Going to church is good. Memorizing scripture is good. Did you know uh, tithing, that's not how you get into the kingdom. Doing all the right things. That's how you get into the kingdom. You get into the kingdom, you see the kingdom, you enter into the kingdom by being born again. He says, born of water and the spirit. Now, just for sake of like, um, clarifying some confusion, Jesus starts to go into some metaphors here. And in all of his metaphors, he talks about wind, he talks about water, and he talks about the spirit. All of them have to do with the spirit of God. 
When he says water, he's not talking about baptism. He's likely referring to a passage in in Ezekiel chapter 36, where the spirit of the Lord is likened to water. He's likely even in John chapter four, the very next chapter in this book that we're reading, John chapter four, Jesus interacts with this woman and she's a Samaritan, this woman at the well. And he says, I can give you living water and you'll thirst no more. This is what Jesus is talking about. Unless they're born of water and the spirit, unless they are born by the spirit, He continues on, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. I'm gonna say must. You must be born again. Now, I, I didn't say this, Jesus said this. Um, This is, very specific, and this is very exclusive. Jesus said in another place in scripture that I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's another place in scripture that says, there's no name under heaven, no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. This is exclusive, which is not extremely popular in in our um, kind of inclusive polytheistic culture right now. Jesus is the only way that you can see or enter into the kingdom of God. Now the Jews believed that the kingdom of God was something that was yet to come from the Messiah. We believe as Christians that the kingdom of God is here, it's now, on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, and it's later. You can have the kingdom of God in your life. You can have transformation in your life right now and later. Heaven later, kingdom of God, transformation right now. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Again, he's talking about the spirit of God. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Jesus is challenging Nicodemus's conceptions about how salvation happens, who the kingdom of God is for. It's for the Jews. It's for the people of Israel. It's for the people that abide by the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the people that do the right things. And he's like, hold on. The spirit of God is is a little bit bigger than that. The kingdom of God is a little bit bigger than that. And he says, you must be born again. Everyone born of the spirit. There's five things I'd like to talk about real briefly as we talk about what it means to be born again. When you are born again, you have a different mind. You have a different mind. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, um, therefore as God's holy and beloved people, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on in verse two and he says, therefore be transformed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. You have a new mind. When you're born again, you have a different mind. You have a different, you are a different creation. You are a new creation, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You're a different creation. You are changed, you're a changed person. Um, some of you have, have been saved. You've been forgiven of your sins. Maybe you've never allowed Jesus to transform your life. Um, Theologians have a lot of fancy words for what God does through the Bible. And one of them that a lot of people are familiar with is salvation. Jesus' name means to save. And some of you are like, oh yeah, I've been saved. I've confessed my sin. Did you know there's another fancy word? And the next one is regeneration. That God doesn't wanna just save you. He wants to change you. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you a new mind. 
He wants to give you a new identity and destiny. You have a new awareness of sin. You have a new awareness of your purpose in life. I've watched this happen with people that not only get saved, but they get born again. And they, they're like, I, I, think, I think God might be calling me to do some radical things. Yeah, he, he, he probably is. You've got a new awareness. You know, I, I never even thought about this sin in my life, but I'm all of a sudden convicted about what I'm watching, what I'm doing, what I'm saying, how I'm spending my time. Yeah, that's, that's a Holy Spirit. You've been born anew. You have a new awareness. You also have a new identity. First John chapter three, verse one says, how great is the love that the father has lavished. He's just poured out on us that we should be called sons and daughters of God. And that's what we are. You have been given a new identity. Some of you, this is um, good news. Some of you, this is bad news. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I, does that mean my reputation could be? Yeah, yeah, like Nicodemus, your, your reputation could be on the line. What about the successes that I've had? You're not defined by your successes anymore. Uh, what about my failures? Some of you get hung up on your failures. There's no way I've just been defined by this addiction, this thing that's lingering, this, this generational sin or curse. It's been just looming over my head for my whole life. You have a new identity. Amen. That does not define you anymore. Whose you are defines you now. You are a son or a daughter of the most high king. You have a new identity. You have a new destiny and it's God's kingdom. You have a new destiny, a new purpose. <clears throat> Tim Keller says this, your identity is received, it's not achieved. You receive a new identity. So Jesus goes on and, and this conversation goes on with Nicodemus and with Jesus. And in John chapter three, verse nine, Nicodemus just heard all this stuff about the wind and born of the water and the spirit. And it was different than what he was expecting. And he was kind of expecting, kind of hoping for all of the things that uh, a good Jewish leader would hope for. And he's like, how can this be? How can, how can this be? Nicodemus asked you are Israel's teacher. Remember I mentioned that at the beginning? You are Israel's teacher. This is a big, uh, this, guy, this guy's a big deal. You are Israel's teacher, not one of, but like one of the main guys. You are Israel's teacher and, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, again, he says it one last time. Amen, amen. Emphasizing it one last time, Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify about what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is where Jesus is starting to get to the specifics about how you might be born again. Up to this point, Nicodemus has heard about the wind. He's heard about water and the spirit. He's heard that no one can see or enter into the kingdom of God without being born again. Do you think one question that would come to my mind is like, how do I do that? How does someone become born again? What's the, what are the steps to doing that? The steps that I went through aren't working, <laughs> right? The steps that I thought about were literal steps. This is obviously something different that you have in mind, Jesus. And this is where verses 14 and 15, Jesus starts to unveil the process of how you can be born again, how I can be born again. Just as Moses lifted up and he uses this analogy, this, um, this allusion from the Old Testament. And again, remember, Nicodemus has memorized the Old Testament. He's memorized these books and, and Jesus ref, refers to a story out of Numbers chapter 21. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That's it right there. Every 
anyone who believes may have eternal life. But what's Moses got to do with it? What are you referring to? We rewind a little bit to Numbers chapter 21 and the people of God had sinned against God. One of the many times that they sinned against God. This is a, remember, this is, a, this is a metaphor now that Jesus is referring to, to describe our condition. You and I have sinned against God over and over and over again. And so their punishment for their sin was that they had this plague of snakes come over them. How many are afraid of snakes? Anyone afraid of snakes? Don't like snakes. Indiana Jones people out there, right? Don't like the snakes, all right? Uh, I went to um, Eswatini. Uh, we have a partnership there. Um, with, uh, with a care point, the Mata Beginning Care Point. I went to Eswatini a couple of years ago and our church has gone almost every single year. To, it used to be known as Swaziland, Africa, on the southern tip of the continent of Africa. So their seasons are opposite of ours. So they're right now going into their summer season. Starts kind of in uh, November and December. And in that season, the snakes come out of hibernation. And I remember them talking about how dangerous it is in that season for kids at the care point because of these poisonous snakes. Now, I, I, I couldn't name even a couple poisonous snakes in this region, in the US. I was like, we just, we don't have very many. They have 17 different varieties of poisonous snakes. No thanks. Peace out, right? <laughs> no, thank you. I'm not going in the summertime for that or our winter time. Okay, not happening. I'll go in the summer when the snakes are hibernating and they're gone. So the people of Israel, they had this plague of snakes come over them. And people were getting bitten by snakes. And they had this poison that was infesting them and that was killing them. And so Moses, what happened is Moses took up this, he was commanded by the Lord, take up this pole, put, put a pole up and put on the pole a bronze snake. And whoever looks on the bronze snake, not at their own injury, but whoever looks upon the bronze snake on the pole will be healed. Nothing that they did. They will be healed. Jesus, in fact, this is the symbol um, <clears throat> you recognize that symbol? Medical symbol. It's on uh, ambulance vehicles. It's different color variations um, symbolize like physicians or different parts of the medical field. But this is the symbol. This is where we get the symbol from Numbers chapter 21. Everyone who looks upon the pole with the snake may be healed. Well, Jesus says, just as Moses had to lift up that pole so that the people may be healed, the son of man will be lifted up and he's referring to his crucifixion. Son of man be, will be lifted up on a cross and everyone who looks upon the cross, everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life, nothing to do with themselves. They're no longer looking at themselves. I broke my arm when I was in eighth grade uh, snowboarding. Um, and that was really humiliating for me because my brother was like sponsored as a snowboarder and I broke my arm snowboarding. And I remember when I was uh, coming off of the, the slope and I was like, man, my arm hurts. I, I told my buddies about it and I pulled back my sleeve and my arm was crooked. That is, just, that is sickening. But I also couldn't stop looking at it. You know, you know what I mean? Like the, the train wreck that you're like, it's so bad. I can't stop watching. Do you know what? This is how our lives are spiritually. So many of us, our lives are a train wreck, a snake bite, a broken arm. And all we can do is fixate on the problem. And Jesus says here, he says, whoever looks upon the cross, whoever looks upon me and believes, you're not looking at your own sin anymore. 
God, not looking at the snake bite. I'd imagine the people of Israel as they're laying there on the ground and they're, they're writhing in pain and the poison is filling their bodies. They're not, they don't want to look. They're, they're looking at themselves. They're trying to fix themselves. They're trying to make themselves better. They're trying to, to, to tend to their own problem. And, and really the only way that they're going to be saved is getting their eyes off of their own break, off of their own problem, off of their own snake bite and looking up to the only thing that can save them. That's what Jesus says here, the son of man may be lifted up so that everyone who looks may be saved. We're all broken. We're all a train wreck. We've all been snake bitten. We all have the poison of sin in our veins. And the only way that you're gonna see the kingdom of God, the only way that you're going to be born again, made new, that you might have new life and life to the full is by looking upon Jesus, believing in Jesus. Anyone who believes may have eternal life life in him. And then John writes some of the most famous words in all of scripture. This was probably the first verse that I ever memorized as a kid. John three sixteen. Some of you think like athletes wrote that because <laughs> they have it on their face. And now it, John wrote that, okay? <laughs> Um, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it gets better. For God did not send his son into the, into the world to condemn the world. To say to Nicodemus, your answer was wrong, dude. Get away. No, you're too sinful, woman caught in adultery. Get away from me. Go ahead, stoner. No, he writes down, he says, he has mercy. Over and over again, not to condemn, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He starts using this word over and over again, pistuo, which is to believe in, to have faith in, to put your trust in something. That's how you receive Jesus. That's how you receive a new identity, a transformed life. That's how you become born again. Not believed in his one and only son. This is the verdict. And notice what John does here. He kind of draws our attention back to how even Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Remember that? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. You like darkness? I like hiding. It doesn't work for me, but I like it. <laughs> Instead of the light because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What's beautiful is that when they come into the light, even though their fear is that when they come into the light, when they confess their sin, when they out themselves, they're afraid of exposure. When in fact, what happens is that God then sees their exposure and he wipes it clean. You know, the thing that they're afraid of he actually wants to tend to. He wants to erase. He wants to, as the Old Testament says, as far as the East is from the West. Did I do that right? Is East? No, you're, what? East is from the West. So far has he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. He wants to do that. I want to go down through this verse. <clears throat> really this verse that's like the quintessential verse of the gospel. John 3, 16, for God. Salvation, regeneration, being born again starts with God. It starts with God. Did you have anything to do with your own birth? No. Now you have a lot to do and you have decisions to make with your life. I don't, I don't want... To pre I don't want to pretend that you don't have things to do as a Christian that follows God to follow in his footsteps and to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. But you don't, God is the one that moves first. 
And wherever you land on a theological perspective about sovereignty or free will and all of that, God moves first. His kindness moves first. It, it, was, it was around way before you and I were even born. His love for you and I was around way before we were even born. For God, it starts with God, so loved, so loved. I, I feel like we could just sit on this for a really long time. Did you know that God loves you? I love that kids are in here tonight. That's awesome. Some of you don't believe that. You might believe it up here. You don't, you, you don't believe it here. You'd give like, yeah, I, I know what, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so, but I don't, I don't believe that. God loves you. Paul says, um, he says in, in one passage, he says that, um, how, he says how long or wide or high or deep is the love of Christ in, or the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. You can't climb high enough to find the end of it. You can't travel far enough to find the end of it. You can't dive deep enough to find the end of it. God's love is so vast, so big, so immense for you and me. And not, not only did he love the Jewish people, but this is, again, this rocks Nicodemus's world. God loves the whole world. This, this rocks some of your world because you could not possibly imagine how God could love the person that voted differently than you a couple of weeks ago. You can't, and, and beyond that, you can't imagine God loving the person on the other side of the world that's antagonistic toward Christians. Did you know that God loves terrorists that right now are killing Christians? He loves them. He loves us in the deepest places of our story. He loves us in the darkest moments. He loves us so much. God loves you. Paul Washer said it this way, I've given Christ countless reasons not to love me and none of them changed his mind. God so loved the world, it's everyone. It's everyone. That he gave his one and only son. He gave us the gift of Jesus. He gave us the gift of a perfect savior to take our place. And the, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He calls Jesus our atonement or our propitiation, the one who takes our place. Paul says it this way. He who was not sin, he didn't even know sin. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gift. A perfect savior to bring about salvation and redemption and regeneration and new birth life. That he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, how is the gift received? It's received through belief in Jesus. And it's not just belief about Jesus. You know, Nicodemus believed about Jesus. He even said some, like, I, you know, we believe that you're from God and that you did. It's not just believe a belief about Jesus. Some of you come in here today and you believe great things about, you know, Jesus was a, he was a good teacher. He was, a, he was, he was all these things. Sure, yeah. But, but you've never put your belief in Jesus. I was on a soccer team in, <clears throat> in college and um, at Indiana Wesleyan. And at the beginning of each season, we would do some team building exercises. Have you guys done team building exercises? Maybe for a sport or um, for a, even for a job, even for like groups of people that you've done team building exercises. And, uh, and we would do these exercises where people would be blindfolded and someone else on the team would have to lead them somewhere. Have you done something like that? The one that was probably the most unnerving was the trust fall. And we would... Um, and we'd stand up on a platform that was maybe two, three feet high like this. And, um, and I looked around at my teammates. I'm like, you're strong, you're athletes, you're 
Um, I mean, I, you're close friends of mine. I believe all these things about you. But when it came to turning around and not seeing behind me and then trusting that they would catch me, there's some big guys in here. Does some big guys want to come on up? Any, anyone want to volunteer? Come on up here. Let's just do this. Maybe right. Brent, come on up, buddy. Yeah, right up here. You're big. I, I trust that you, yes. <clears throat> so it's, it's one thing, it's one thing, church, for, for me. <laughs> Brent's walking around checking. Oh, I, I appreciate that, man. It's, it's one thing. It's one thing to say all the right things. It, it's, it's one thing to believe that, I, like I trust these men and, and, and I believe that they're strong. You guys believe they're strong? Yeah. It's another thing for me to turn around. You guys better catch me, all right? <laughs> so it's just, it's gonna, my blood's starting to like, you know, just um, kind of, you know, getting jittery. So it's, it's another thing to believe in them. And it's another thing for me to turn around. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I believe that they will catch me, but to, for me to believe in them is to fall back. <laughs> oh. Thank you guys. Oh, okay. Ooh, my little time out. <laughs> Oh, it's another thing to believe in. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's, it's one thing for my kids to believe that I can catch them off the stairs. It's another thing entirely when they just run and jump. They don't just believe that I can catch them. They believe it so much that they do it. That's, that is what Jesus is talking about, belief in. Do you know that Jesus' half-brother James, he writes in his letter and he says, even demons believe about Jesus and they shudder, but they've never submitted their lives to Jesus. They've not submitted to his lordship. They know all the right things, but they're not saved or born again or transformed. They have not believed in him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is, this is good news. There's not condemnation. You're not, you're not condemned anymore. The first car I ever owned was a salvage title. I remember, I remember buying it from uh, the dealer. And uh, there was a guy that owned a, a salvage yard um, and, and he bought it at an auto auction and, and it had a title where you couldn't drive it on the road. You could, like it wasn't fit to be driven. It was missing airbags and, and headlights and a bumper and a radiator and all these different things from an accident. And he took and he bought it and he re redeemed it. He restored this car and then he sold. And I, I bought this car from him and he said, you've got it. Now you have to take it to the police department. It ha has to be inspected. And then they'll check off that it is fit for driving again. And then you'll go to the Department of Motor Vehicles or Secretary of State. And then you will get a new title. It's been, and you know what the title was? It was rebuilt. God's not interested in condemning He's not interested in salvage. He's interested in rebuilding. He's interested in giving you a, a new start, a fresh start. Justice is gonna come up here in a second. We're gonna close our time today. And whether you're online, you're gonna have a chance to respond to Jesus, whether you're in the mask required zone, whether you're here in this space. Um, I wanna give you a chance to respond to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to be born again. There's this prayer that I want you to pray with me. And um, at the very end, 
If this is you, if you're praying this prayer, maybe for the first time, maybe some of you have confessed sin before, right? You've, you're, you've been good at that, I'll confess sin. But I've never asked God to change me. Have you ever asked God to change you? Have you ever been born again? You've been transformed? Not just saved, but reborn. Some of you might need to stand here in just a moment and say, Jesus, I want you to do that in me. I believe in you. I don't just believe about you. I believe in you to bring life and life to the full. Some of you online, you might click the button for the first time or the second time or third time, whatever. Or in the master cards, and like that you would stand, but we're gonna pray this prayer. And if this is you for the first time or you're praying this prayer, maybe second or third or fourth time, whatever time it is that you are praying this prayer to Jesus to submit your heart, to ask him to make you born again. I want you to stand here in a moment. Jesus, today I confess that I'm a sinner, that I'm in need of a savior. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I invite you to change my life that I would be born again. Please give me a heart that is bent toward you, not bent toward sin. Today I confess not just my belief about Jesus, but my belief in Jesus as my savior, my Lord and my God. Thank you for breathing new life into me, for making me a new creation, for saving me from condemnation. Thank you for your gifts of salvation and rebirth. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer, um, that's what Paul, or not Paul, but John said at the end of the passage that we, we read. He talked about lightness and darkness. I know for some of you, your heart's pounding <laughs> and you're like Nicodemus. You're like, I don't, I don't know if I want to out myself. <laughs> I'd like to just come to Jesus when it's just me and Jesus. And God asks for us to publicly profess and declare our faith in him boldly. And if you prayed this prayer today, uh, would you stand right now where you're at? Yeah, amen. If you're online, would you, you can click the button. If you're in Mass Required Zone, stand where you're at. Yeah, if you're, if you're still feeling called by God to stand, stay standing. Yeah, stay standing. Amen. Yeah, brother. Born again. Born again. This is the beauty of the gospel. Church, why don't you stand with the rest here today? And we're gonna pray as we as we go. And if you were one that was standing, or maybe online you uh, accepted Christ, or maybe in Master Cards, and we just we won't, would love to hear from you. And. Um, you could get signed up for baptisms. That would be an incredible next step in your faith. Um, you can fill out a connect card afterward. And um, we just would love to walk with, those, with you for those next steps, but we celebrate. Can we celebrate one more time for people accepting Christ today, being born again, being transformed. That is the gospel. So Jesus came to do. So Jesus, today, we just thank you we thank you for those that last night gave their hearts to you. We thank you for those that this morning gave their hearts to you. We thank, for, thank, we thank you for those that are online, that are all over the place. They're not even in this, this building right now, but they gave their hearts to you. And, and not only did they confess sin, but they asked that you would transform them. God, I pray that you would give them a new hope, a new identity, a new destiny, that they would be born again with a fresh kind of power from the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you would enter into their lives and that you would convict of sin, that you would draw them into a right relationship and, and God, that you would produce fruit that, that they can't produce themselves, fruit that's from you, the Holy Spirit. God, we pray for that. We pray for victory over sin. We pray against attacks from the enemy. He's gonna be coming at people this week, trying to, trying to get people to doubt their salvation, trying to get people to doubt their transformation. But God, I just pray in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, that you would go with us. Help us to live and to love for you as born again people of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming this morning. We'll see you next week.